come and meet with us in our time this afternoon. Cliff, would you lead us in that prayer? Cliff Middleton, would you lead us in that prayer, please? Amen. You can be seated. Song of Solomon, chapter 2. We continue this romance between the bride and her beloved. And really, as you start to read through this, the first two or the first three verses perhaps should have went with the first chapter, and then four through the end of this chapter go together. It's, it's an interesting, I've never really studied Song of Solomon a great deal, so even in just preparing this, I have new sympathy for Mr. Middleton as he went through Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. There's so much here that you want to say, but it's not the purpose of our consecutive reading. I would just note that with this romance, it all starts out with a conversation between the bride and, and her beloved, and she basically says to him, I'm just ordinary. There's, there's nothing really special about me. I'm, I'm just like the common lily of the valley and so forth. And then he looks at her and says, oh, no, you're, you're, like, um, you're like a lily among thorns. You're, you're, you're something special. And um, then she goes on to say, it's you. No, no, it's not me. It's you that's special. You're like an apple tree among the trees of the forest. So, my beloved, among young men. So they, they have this back and forth. You're, you're really special. You're a treasure. Oh, no, not me. You're the treasure. And so forth. And then starting in verse 4, it's sort of like she's in a daydream. She's just dreaming. And she's dreaming about her beloved. And as she does show, she thinks that here's a man that that I know will provide for me. I know he'll protect me. I I know that that there's an intimacy that we share together um, when we're together. And so she then imagines him visiting her and and how special uh, that would be. But then toward the end of the chapter, there's this word of caution. Because they know that there's things that could interrupt their relationship to one another. It's true with with any couple. They've got to continually be on guard because there can be things that could interrupt their love for each other or their treasuring of one another. And so there's this warning, and, and there's some 
interpretation problems here, but in verse 15, whether there's some who think she's talking to her brother, some who think she's talking to her beloved, but the idea is we've got to catch these little foxes because they're ruining the vineyard. We, we need to be alert to anything that interrupts this relationship. Someone just recently gave me a book called uh, Catching Foxes. And it's, it's, it's a wonderful book for premarital counseling. And I haven't read it all in detail yet, but the, when he first gave it to me, the title caught my attention. What does foxes have to do with a marriage relationship? But this is where it comes from. We need to go about catching those little foxes that may interrupt the love, the romance, the, 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 the treasuring that we ought to have for each other with our spouses. So beware of little foxes that's going to ruin the vineyard. And deal with them. Catch those foxes and dispose of them so that the two of you can enjoy your relationship while you're together. So that's sort of where we're at in chapter 2. Follow as I read. She starts and then he'll interject and then we go to her dream. I am the Rose of Sharon, the Lily of the Valleys. Like a lily among thorns... So is my darling among maidens. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. His shade I took great delight and set down, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. You see, she found... You see, I'm going to get off of this. But, I mean, she just found in her beloved someone that she could be secure with. Someone that she knows will protect her and take care of her. Verse 4. He has brought me to his banqueting hall, and his banner over me is love. I'm going to keep reading because I want to say some things with regard to that, but I won't. His banner over me is love. Sustain me with raisin cakes. Refresh me with apples. Because I am lovesick, let his left hand be under my head and his right hand embrace me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and by the hinds of the field, that you do not arouse or awaken my love until she pleases. Listen, my beloved, behold, he is coming Climbing on the mountains, leaping on the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he is standing behind our wall. He is looking through the windows. He is peeping through the lattice. My beloved responded and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers have already appeared in the land, the time has arrived for pruning of the vines, and the voice of the turtle doves have been heard in our land. The fig trees has ripened its figs, and the vines in the blossoms have given forth their fragrance. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, And come along. O my dove, in the cleft of the rock, in the secret place of the steep pathway, 
Let me see your form. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your form is lovely. Catch the foxes for us. The little foxes that are ruining the vineyard while our vineyard while our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine and I am his. His pasture is flocks among the lilies until the cool of the day when the shadow flees away. Turn, my beloved, and be like the gazelle or a young stag on the mountain of Bether. Well, I would encourage you, if you haven't really studied this, to, to look at it in greater detail. I don't know that I'll ever preach through it. I might. There are some good things that I'm just going to pass over right now. But, but uh, what a wonderful love story and romance we have between these two, which is, again, as R.C. Sproul mentions, is an illustration of Christ's love for his church. Well, with that done, now let's take our hymns of grace and turn to number 186. 186 in the hymns of grace. Come behold the wondrous mystery. 186. That's not it. What? 184. 184.
Well, this afternoon, I just want to take some time to look at one verse of Scripture. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29. Perhaps a, a familiar verse of Scripture to many of us. We've heard it recited over the years. And in fact, perhaps have heard one, not too many people preach through the book of Deuteronomy, but many have preached on this verse. And so we read here, Deuteronomy 29:29, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belongs to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe the words of this law. Well, hopefully you can remember that this morning as we brought our time to a close, we were looking at the frightening outlook for the children of Israel if they did not keep their hearts and seek to love and serve and obey the one true God. This outlook for the future was such a dreadful thought. How should they prepare? What if God brings judgment upon the land in anger? What if some of the children of Israel rebel or not obey as they ought and and you've sought to obey and and you've sought to do that which is right and you can honestly say that, that you do love the one true God but yet God's judgment has an effect upon all of us because of their disobedience. What will life be like if that happens? What will it be like if we are uprooted from the land in God's anger and in His fury and in His great wrath? Well, what if God does cast us into another land? This picture that Moses paints for them is not a prophecy, but something that would happen. if they did not obey. And the Israelites persisted in their disobedience and failed their responsibility. And so the picture that that Moses paints here was going to take place. But had you been there to hear Moses and, and to hear about this outlook you perhaps would wonder about the future. What will it be like? We, we want to know that information. Isn't that today? People are constantly trying to figure out the future. And when we live in an information age, right? I mean, we, we have information readily available at our fingertips. We, we all carry around this, this little computer... And, you know, I, I remember preaching someplace, and, and I quoted someone, and I said to them as I was quoting, I said, I, I didn't write down who said this, but it's a wonderful quote, and then I quoted it. Afterwards, a man walked up to me and said something like, oh, yeah, that was C.H. Spurgeon. And I looked at him, and I said, wow, do you have everything that C.H. Spurgeon said memorized? And he said, No. I just took the beginning of that quote and put it in this, and it popped up Spurgeon. 
That's how quickly we can get information, right? You want to know what the weather's going to be tomorrow? I can get it for you, at least what they're predicting. All right? I mean, we have all this information. But what does the future hold? What's in our future? And if you were part of the children of Israel who is about ready to enter into the promised land, you may think to yourself for a moment, Moses, this is your last message to us, and you're sort of ending on a, on a, on a sour note. You've made the future look very bleak. You, you've painted us a picture that, that isn't something we look forward to. Mr. Craigie and his commentator says, the stark portrayal of the possible future, however, was not designed to cause apathy and despair among the people. Rather, the dark picture of the future was intended to have the opposite effect. The revealed things belong to us and our children forever so that we might do the words of the law. This is what your future is going to look like if you don't obey. It wasn't to make them apathetic. It wasn't to cause them to say, whoa, it's going to be a terrible time. No, hopefully Moses was going to stir them up to say, we don't want this. By God's help, we're going to be a people who are going to be obedient to God. And so Moses has them thinking about the future. And before he, he gives his last entreaty, chapter 30, it's almost as though he pauses for a moment because he's got them thinking about the future. And he says to them, I, I, I want to make two declarations. Since I've got you now thinking about the future, I, I, I want to make two declarations. And, and then I have a word of application. And so as you, it's, it's pretty easy to open up. As you, as you look at the text, there are these two declarations. There's a declaration about secret things, and then there's a declaration about things that are revealed. So he begins with, there are secret things. And he says concerning that, the secret things belong to Yahweh your God. Now, God is a revealing God. He reveals Himself in the 66 books of Holy Scripture. Our own confession says the Holy Scripture is the only sufficient and certain and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. God reveals Himself in the Word. God also reveals Himself, we're told in the Bible, in nature. God's power and His wisdom is revealed as He directs and upholds and disposes and governs all providence. God is revealed. However, God's revelation in nature, as our confession also says, is not sufficient to give knowledge of God's will of God and His will necessary unto salvation. A man can look at nature, a man can see providence and understand God is in control. But how do we get to know this God? That's why we need 
the Word of God. The truth is, is that when it comes to providence, there are some things that are absolutely a mystery to us. We don't understand what God is doing, or, or we misinterpret what God is doing. Why, does, why do certain things happen when they happen? Why, why does a young couple call me who loves the Lord, who seek to follow after Him, to tell me they've had a miscarriage? Why did that happen? When there are so many young ladies who will either abort their child or they don't bring their child up in a two-family home, a two-person home. Why does that happen? Why does it happen that some people can ring a bell after their last infusion for chemo, rejoicing that their, that their cancer is in remission, and another person just dies. Why does that happen? It's a mystery. They are secret things that belong to God. They say, and, and I won't make any other comment, but say to say what she said. They say that Mother Teresa said, when I get to heaven, God has a lot of explaining to do. I, I won't comment except to say, listen, when we make it to heaven... We may think God may have a lot of explaining to do, but that's going to be the last thing on our minds. He's been far better to us than we deserve. Than we deserve. But we can, on occasion, find ourselves questioning the work of God in providence. We can be like Job in Job 23 when he says, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but cannot perceive Him. When He acts on the left, I cannot behold Him. When He turns on the right, I cannot see Him. But He does say, this is the way I take. He knows the way I take. That's Job 23, 8-10. There are times God just seems absent. God doesn't seem to be there. We've not heard from God. He doesn't at times even, it, it doesn't even seem He cares as we go through these things. We ask with the psalmist in Psalm 10 and verse 1, Why do you hide your, yourself in times of trouble? Why, why are you hiding when, when I'm in the midst of this calamity and in the midst of this difficulty? God is a God who conceals. He doesn't always share with His people what and why He's bringing about certain things. He doesn't. 
God moves in a mysterious way His wonders to perform. But can we say, in the midst of going through those seasons of providence that honestly we don't like and we don't understand why we're going through this, can we say, whatever my God ordains is right? Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 10 that he has a purpose and his purposes will come to pass. And I don't know about you, but I will confess there are times when I stand back and say, Lord, I don't see any good purpose in this. But I trust you. I trust you. What does the future hold? What, what does it look like? I, it would be interesting if we went around the room and say, where do you see yourself in ten years? And then if we could all gather back here in ten years and, and see what that looks like. We were met as officers yesterday. And we were talking about the future. And for some reason, in the midst of that conversation, the age of your pastor often comes up. <laughs> What's your future? What does it look like? What, what? And, and I told the men as we sat around the table, if one of you would pick out your crystal ball and look into it, and see what my life looks like, if I'm going to be here five years from now, ten years from now, twenty... I, you know, that would help me understand what my, what my future looks like. I don't know. I mean, there's nothing wrong with planning for the future. I think our men are wise, and I think we're all wise in considering those things together and, and so forth. But the secret things belong to God. We, we will be faithful in what He's given us now, but the future belongs to God. And so that's the first declaration. There are secret things. And there may be seasons in which we say, why am I going through this? Can someone explain this to me? That's a natural response, but it ought to be followed with, not my will, thine be done. It ought not to be followed with, what are you doing? In such seasons, we need not focus on the why, but the who. Focus on the who. So those are the secret things. And then the second declaration are things revealed. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our sons forever. Now think about it for a minute. Who's Moses speaking to? Hopefully you know. Hopefully you know. people of God getting ready to go into the promised land. That hopefully doesn't surprise anybody. You're, we've been in Deuteronomy for a while, and, and I hope you recognize that. So in particular, what's been revealed to them as Moses speaks to them? 
Well, in particular, there have been ten words that have been revealed. There's been ten words that belongs to them. That God has made known to them. Everything you need to know concerning Him and His will has been revealed to you. I, I, I would imagine that after listening to Moses for some time now, as he's delivering this message, I can't imagine somebody in the crowd saying, did, was there something revealed to us? Now, maybe there was, because I know how some people listen. All right? But, but it would be hard to imagine that some people, what's been revealed? Did, did you see something? Did you hear? Moses is set before them. Listen, here's what you're to be. You're to be a people that Jesus said this way. You're to love God with all your heart. And you're to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what's been revealed to you. Love God, love your neighbor. What does that look like? Well, you're to have no other gods before Him. You're to be exclusively devoted to God. That's been revealed to you. You're not to make for yourselves idols. You're to adore, treasure your God from your heart. You're to, you're to be sincere in your worship. And you're to worship Him as He dictates. You're not to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You're to see God as He is revealed in Scripture. And your life should be a life that displays who God is. You're to walk sincerely. You're not to walk emptily. You're not to be hypocrites. You're to be genuine people of God. That's been revealed. You're to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. There's one day that's been set apart for your good and for your benefit. It's not to be like another day of the week. It's a time of, of giving yourself to the worship of God. That's been revealed. You're to honor your father and mother. You're to show reverence and respect towards those in authority. You're not to murder. You're to find life very precious. You are to treasure life. You're not to engage in any endeavors that would take another man's life. You ought to be diligent in seeking to preserve life. You ought to love your neighbor, care for your neighbor, care for each other. That's been revealed. You're not to commit adultery. Your marriage bed should be treasured in your actions and in your heart. You're to love your spouse and, and care for each other. You're, you're to treasure one another. That's been revealed. You're not to steal. There's a right to private property. 
We ought to diligently work with our hands so as not to steal, so that we can provide for our families and for others, so that we might give. That's been revealed. You're not to bear false witness. You're to speak the truth. You're, you're to put away lying. Lying lips are an abomination to God. That's been revealed. You're not to covet. You're to be content with what you have. Recognize that discontentment is sin. Acknowledge God's goodness and His provision for you and how much better He's been to you than you could ever deserve. That's been revealed. So when Moses says, the things revealed belongs to us and to our sons forever, what's been revealed? These ten words that are summed up with love God with all your heart and love each other. It's, it's, it's been revealed to us and it should be revealed to our sons and, 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 and sons after them. Again, as we're reminded from Deuteronomy 6, it's our responsibility to teach others this as well. Fathers, teach your children. Teach them diligently. Live them out in your household. Bind them as a sign on your hand and as frontals on your forehead. Write them up on your door. When they come in, when they come out, they understand this is how God has revealed we ought to live. And the Word of God is given to us to tell us this is how you're to live. You're to wait on one another. You're, you're to pray for each other. You're to... Uh, Give hospitality to each other. On and on with the Word of God. We could go throughout the Bible and say, these are the things revealed to us. These are the things like we should be doing. And, and here's what I'm convinced of, the older I get. The more that we come to the point that we say, Lord, this is Your Word. This is how I ought to live. What a difference that would make in our lives. I mentioned Wednesday night I was in a conversation with somebody and we were talking about how oftentimes people find themselves in messes and then they come to the pastor and say, fix this, as though I say, oh yeah, I got a little sprinkle dust here. Pew, pew. Okay, it's all fixed now. No, it doesn't change. The only thing I have is the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And if the people of God would take the Word of God and with the help of the Spirit of God genuinely seek to live by that Word, what a difference life would be. Do you believe that? I have no magic formulas. When I was younger, I thought I did. I thought I could fix anything. But I came to realize, I can't. If the Spirit of God and the power of God and the Word of God is unaffected, unaffected in somebody's life, I can't change that. So I sleep better at night. 
But that's what Moses is saying, folks. You want to enjoy God? You want to enjoy life in the promised land? Though you don't know what's ahead of you and though you don't know the future, that all belongs to God. What He has revealed to you, do it. And that will make a difference. So we have these two declarations and then we have this word of application. This word of application, because notice how he says, But the things revealed belong to us and to our fathers forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. That we might do what we've been told. That we might be found obedient. Now listen, I understand we're under the new covenant. I understand that Jesus took the curse for us. Understand all that. But dear people, we need to pursue obedience to God's Word. If if the grace of God has been at work in my heart, bringing me to faith in Jesus Christ, it will have an effect on the way I live. God's grace and the work of Jesus Christ doesn't give me a free ticket to heaven only. It changes who I am. It gives me a new heart. It gives me a new desire. It puts in me new goals. And someone say, well, nobody's perfect. Nobody says anybody's perfect. But it doesn't mean we don't strive after holiness. It doesn't mean we don't discipline ourselves unto godliness. So when I hear the Word of God, my prayer is, Lord, have this affect my very life. What I am as a Christian man, what I am as a Christian pastor, what I am as a Christian husband, what I am as a Christian father, what I am as a Christian citizen. May the Word of God so be branded on my conscience and my heart that it has an effect upon how I live every day. Now, is that just religious talk or is that reality? And that's what Moses says to these folks again and again. Look at chapter 4. Deuteronomy 4. Be reminded of what Moses has said earlier before he starts uh, rehearsing the ten words again. Deuteronomy 4, 1. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Listen to these things, he says, and perform them. Look at verse 14. The Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might perform them in the land where you are going over to possess it. So perform it. Live it. So, so what are we to do with the things that God reveals? Well, just four points. We need to hear it. Listen to it. We need to fear God, knowing He's watching everything I do. We need to teach it to our children. And then we need to perform it. We need to do it. 
Not perform it as though God's watching me and, and I hope He likes my performance and accepts me. No, it's a performance that I want to do because I love my God. I want Him pleased. That's the effect it has upon my life. There should be a real connection between what God has revealed and what I practice. There should be a connection between what God has revealed and what I practice. That should be the priority of my life. And that's what Moses is saying. Now he's going to finish his little message with an entreaty to the people of God. But, but it's almost as though he pauses for a minute and, and you just hear again his pastoral heart come out. And, and he says, dear people, watch over your hearts above everything else. And no matter what happens in the future that you don't have control of, you just make sure that your life is lived in that way which is pleasing in the sight of God. That's all I want for you. I'm not here, Moses, I'm not here trying to give you the five easy steps to a wonderful financial future. I'm not here to give you five easy steps to a healthy lifestyle. I'm not here to, to tell you about five easy steps to wealth and prosperity. I'm here to see that you walk and have fellowship with God. Now, is that so bad? It's a wonderful thing to live life. Who knows? How much time do we have? I mean, will I be here five years from now? I don't know. Ten years? I don't know. But what life I do have here, I want to enjoy. Not enjoy it, meaning I'm going to put a, you know, you come by my house next week, there's a big bulldozer because we're putting in a brand new swimming pool. That's not happening. I mean enjoy it, meaning enjoying my walk and fellowship with God. Trusting, obeying, and serving Him. And may God help us to live such a life to His glory and honor. Well, next week, the entreaty. We'll see how long that takes us to get through, but the end of the final message. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for just this reminder and that we often need to be reminded of that there are secret things that belong to God. And we need to trust Him. Who knows what a day may bring forth for any one of us. But Father, may each of us pursue a life that enjoys God and glorifies Him. May each of us be sensitive to sin and when we're guilty of committing it, may we be quick to confess and forsake it. Father, we just pray that as the people of God, we would find you to be our treasure and our delight, no matter what else may come into our lives in days to come. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in closing, take your hymns of grace and turn to number 35. O great God of highest heaven, occupy our lowly hearts. Number 35, hymns of grace.